Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner, and we're still in quarantine, so there is a chance that you'll hear a few toddlers sporadically. Um, Charlotte did just get up from her nap if you were wondering. So let's dive in. You know the drill. Tomorrow you have a last minute virtual presentation in front of your boss and the coworker you're crushing on or a final exam in the one subject you struggle in the most, or you have 12 other important events that have you triple booked. So what do you inevitably end up doing before your big day? Pulling an all-nighter. Whether you're awake preparing and rehearsing or your mind is racing in anticipation, you are awake and you can't and don't go to bed. And when the sun comes up, you feel like a zombie. I got five hours last night. How about you? We've spoken on Simplexity about revolutionizing nutrition with Eric Edmeads and integrating exercise for overall brain health with Jim Quick. We don't need help scrolling and saving more diet ideas and workout circuits on Instagram. Many of us just spent our last paycheck on a Peloton bike. Yet, through our constant quest to optimize, there is one area we overlook. Sleep. I'm not really sure we understand the gravity of working against our very hopes and goals, our greatest ideas, strongest bodies, and most fulfilling experiences when we don't rest, digest, process, repair, and dream. If you're sleep deprived, your memory is impaired, your mental health suffers and can lead to depression, anxiety, stress, and irritability, and your chances for accidents and injuries increase. And you might even gain weight or take years off your life. Chronic sleep problems affect about 70 million Americans across all demographics. I personally am diagnosed with parasomnia, so count me in. And the CDC has even labeled insufficient sleep as a public health epidemic, as in on top of the current pandemic. Though we're home, sleep problems are actually on the rise as schedules have shifted and new stress has been added. So what can we do to get the best sleep we can? Today, we have the sleep doctor himself, board-certified sleep specialist and clinical psychologist, Dr. Michael Bruce, to help us find these answers. You might recognize him from TV, as Dr. Bruce is a regular on the Dr. Oz show, CNN, CBS This Morning, and The Doctors. He's also the author of three bestsellers, not one, not two, but three, The Power of When, the Sleep Doctors Diet Plan, and Good Night, The Sleep Doctors four-week program to better sleep and better health. And I have a feeling all of us will be purchasing all of them right after this. Today, we're going to dive into tricks that you can try today to get a better sleep tonight. The science of dreaming, how our needs are different from our ancestors, how we are hurting our sleep without realizing it. And I want to bust some common sleep misconceptions and talk about how to quiet our racing minds and discover the four chronotypes of sleepers and what we need to function. So welcome to the show, Dr. Bruce. Why, thanks for having me, Allison. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. It's that was always the best introduction I think I've ever heard. Just, yes. I'm just letting you know, you nailed it on the intro. Perfect. We <laughs> strive for that feedback every time. So I often start episodes with theory and exposition, but okay. I really want to cut to the chase. In response to COVID, you shared an article with eight tips on how we can sleep better during the pandemic. Yep. We'll hash out the whys, the what's, the hows later, but what are some hacks that we can try tonight? Because I'm fading. Absolutely. So first of all, Thank you for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. And I love the idea of taking very complicated things and turning them into bite-sized pieces so that we can actually utilize them and make them actionable in our lives. So yes. the concept behind this is phenomenal. Love it. Right. So when we're talking about sleep and COVID in particular, there's a lot of things that people need to start kind of thinking about. So the first one is when we took out the commute in our mornings, right? So we, because we're all sheltering in place, 
everybody decided it's okay to stay up and watch Netflix until about three o'clock in the morning and then use that commute time to sleep in. Let me tell you why that's the worst idea you could possibly have. In your body, sleep runs on two different systems. One is called sleep drive. The other is called sleep rhythm. Drive is something that builds up over the course of the day. Rhythm is your circadian rhythm where you're supposed to fall asleep at certain particular times. So most people, at least here in the United States, fall asleep somewhere between 10 and kind of 11, 11.30 at night. Yeah. Depending. Sure. Right. Depending. Right. And so here's the big thing. Here's the myth to bust here is everybody's sleep need is different. So I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at 6.13 every day. I don't know why it's 6.13. I swear to you, I try to fool myself almost every morning. I say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. And when I open my eyes, it's literally within three to four minutes of 6.13 every single morning. But that's because my sleep is so consistent. So the very first thing that you need to look at is consistency in your sleep. Because when people are sleeping in, that level of consistency changes and our whole biological clock wants to shift. So step number one is to wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends. Oh my God, Dr. Bruce, the weekends. Why? I'm, that's when I'm catching up on my sleep. Come on. What are you talking about here? It's all about the wake up time. Honestly, I don't care when you go to bed. If you want to go to bed at four o'clock in the morning, that's up to you. What I'm telling you is you've got to, got to, got to wake up at the same time every day. Now, let's be real fair here. If you stay up until four o'clock in the morning, the minimum amount of sleep that you should ever get in a single evening is probably five and a half hours. So if you went to bed at four, then you really should be sleeping till about 9.30 at, at, at the worst situation. But let's be clear. Nobody should be waking up, staying up until four o'clock in the morning, okay? It's really not going to be that good for you. Keeping the consistent schedule, especially during COVID, is step number one. Step number two, no naps. If you weren't a napper before COVID, you definitely don't want to be a napper now because you lower your sleep drive. So if you take a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon, all that drive that's been building up throughout the day that's hopefully going to help you sleep at night, you've lost a bunch of it. So no bueno on the napping, okay? Not a good idea. And here's the other problem. We're all staring at Zoom screens all, all the time, right? And so our eyes begin to get tired. And then we think, oh, I must be sleepy. My bedroom is right there. I think I'll just go take a nap in my favorite place, which is my bed. And then all of a sudden you walk out and it's two hours later, you feel like crap um, because most people feel worse after the nap, not better. And you've, you've kind of screwed it all up. So maintain the same wake up time, no naps. Those are my big first two big ones. Let's also talk about alcohol and caffeine. So I would argue that right now is probably the most stressful time in every single person's life. Probably a stressors that people have never actually even come across before in their lives. I mean, let's be honest, who would have thunk it, right? I mean, in a million years, if you told me that I was going to be stuck in my house for eight weeks, I would have laughed at you and said, oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen here. And lo and behold, it has. So when you, when you start thinking about it, there's a lot of anxiety going on. I can't think of a worse time to pour a stimulant on top of your anxiety. And that's what caffeine pretty much is, right? And so here's what people are doing is you used to go at, the, at, let's say you were at work, you'd go to the break area, you might grab a cup of coffee, you come back, maybe do a little socializing, whatever. Well, now that you're at home, the break area is your kitchen and you're bored because you've been sitting all day watching Zoom calls. So you stand up at between every Zoom call and say, oh, I'll just freshen up my cup of coffee because you're so freaking bored. You just want to walk across your apartment or your house. Well, guess what? You've almost doubled, tripled, quadrupled the amount of caffeine that's going in your system. Remember, caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours, but a total elimination cycle of almost 48 hours. So most people don't know this, but caffeine stays on board for a long period of time. So you really want to be thoughtful about caffeine. So I would argue you want to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. This would allow about eight hours before bed, so at least half of it can get, can get out of your system. Mm. Alcohol is a little bit different. So to be clear, alcohol affects the immune system in a negative way. There's no, nobody's arguing about this at all, okay? It's very well known, it's a bottom line. So if you're drinking while sheltering in place, you're definitely lowering your immune function. But there's a secondary process that we need to talk about, which is how does alcohol affect sleep? It's kind of weird. Alcohol is the number one sleep aid in the world, but yet it's the worst thing that you could possibly do for your sleep. More people drink themselves to sleep than just about anything, which is unfortunate. But here's the biggest problem, is alcohol affects stages three and four sleep. Michael, why does that matter? That's the physical restoration. Believe it or not, half of the reason you feel like crap from a hangover is from lack of deep sleep. The other half is from dehydration. Remember, alcohol is also a diuretic. 
So when you're drinking, as soon as you start to pee and you break the seal, you're done. You're peeing all night long, right? So if you're drinking alcohol before bed, going to the bathroom, you become dehydrated. Most people don't know this, Allison, but sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. Just from the humidity in our breath, we lose almost a full liter of water every single night. So we're already dehydrated from drinking alcohol. Then we have this dehydrative event and we wake up in the morning and then what do people do? Slam a coffee, which is also a diuretic. Really bad idea. So this is where hydration comes in, right? And so when we're talking about morning time, morning routines should have a lot of sunlight and a lot of hydration. You really wanna slow down on caffeine because it's, number one, it's not gonna be that effective for you uh, really early in the morning. Uh, and number two, it just, again, causes more dehydration. That's really what we wanna try to avoid if we possibly can. So staying away from alcohol and caffeine is good, but let's be fair, nobody's gonna actually stay away from alcohol and caffeine, right? I mean, I'm not, I don't know about you. I'm so not. how do we moderate? <laughs> so how do we moderate, exactly. So for every one glass of alcohol, you drink one glass of water and you wait one hour before bed. If you mm. have two glasses of alcohol, you drink two glasses of water and you wait two hours before bed. When you hit three, that's where the problems happen. So what we now know about alcohol is alcohol actually has what's called a paradoxical effect. It's got the opposite. Instead of making it calms you down, when you hit drink three, it actually revs you up. It becomes an accelerant. And for men, that's when aggression can come into play. Mm -hmm. So let's be honest. If you've been sheltering in place in your home for eight weeks with your family, don't get me wrong, I love my family, but I certainly wasn't planning on spending 24 hours a freaking day with them for eight weeks. Getting hammered at home is a bad idea, right? Mm -hmm. Because when guys hit that second to third drink, aggression can come in, mm -hmm. right? For girls, it can be excitatory, again, so not the direction that we wanna be going in. So do me a favor, stop drinking alcohol three hours before bed. That's the easiest way to do it, but remember, have one glass of water for every glass of alcohol. The next one has to do with being on a media diet. Just about the last piece of information that you need is actually somebody turning to you and saying, hey, guess what? So many, so-and-so people died you know, during COVID this week, and then you're about ready to go to sleep. That's really not gonna help your dreams so much, right? So there's now this weird phenomenon that we're calling quarren dreaming, believe it or not. So these are high stress dreams, nightmares, and things like that that are happening across the board because mm. people are trying to figure out how to process this tremendous amount of stress. That's kind of what we think dream theory is. We think that dreaming is our body's ability to process through some of these emotional states. We also think that this is where we're moving information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. So you mentioned before that you had uh, Jim Quick on before. Jim's a dear friend, somebody who knows a lot about memory. And I did one of his podcasts where we talked about how the memorial effects of uh, sleep deprivation on your memory, uh, and it's, they're significant. So you don't need something right before bed that's going to freak you out. Instead, do a gratitude list. Very simple, very straightforward. So and it's not just about woo-woo, hey, I want to do a gratitude list. I've got some data to prove it. There's a, there's a study to show that optimism before bed not only helps you fall asleep more quickly, but gives you more positive dreams. Well, let's be honest. If we're all having freaked out dreams because we're stuck inside our houses and we don't know what's going to happen, it'd be nice to have a little positivity, right? right? So this is where the gratitude list comes in. And so by writing it down and really mm. thinking through, like, what am I grateful for? You know, and, and sometimes it's physical things. Sometimes it's emotional things. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's health. Really start to think about that and think about the positives in your life. Because what will happen is you'll fall asleep quicker and you'll have better dreams. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? And so right. don't be giving yourself a hard time before bed by watching media and media. What's something else that you could do? Hot bath. Believe it or not, there's clinical data to show that if you have a hot bath 90 minutes before bed, it raises your core body temperature up. And then when you get out of the bath, it cools it down, which is a signal to your brain to release melatonin. So for many of my insomnia patients, I'm telling them 90 minutes before bed, take a hot bath. But here's the hack. You want it to be a bubble bath. Why on earth, Dr. Bruce, would you want it to be a bubble bath? So when you have a bubble bath, it forms a layer of insulation that goes across the top of the water and it keeps the water hotter longer. So Mr. Bubble is your friend when it comes to sleeping before bed. If you want, throw a little lavender in there, a little Epsom salt. You can get some of that aromatherapy. Does aromatherapy really work, Dr. Bruce? Yes, it does. There's two clinical studies to show, double-blind placebo-controlled studies to show that lavender and something called Elang, Elang, that's spelled Y-L-A-N-G, Y-L-A-N-G, are the two aromas that appear to have a relaxation effect. 
to be clear, you don't just sniff something and pass out, right? Unless it's like ether or something like that. What aromatherapy does is causes a muscular relaxation response. So this is why I like aromatherapy so much, but here's the caveat is I'm not a big fan of fire and sleep, right? Those two don't mix well together. So if you're going to get your aromatherapy, don't do it from a candle. Do it from a diffuser, from a pillow spray, something like a sachet, something like that. Also, what's nice with the pillow sprays and the sachets is then if your bed partner doesn't like the aroma that you happen to like, you're not driving them crazy. Mm -hmm. um, one word of warning uh, for all the ladies out there who are thinking about using a pillow spray for aromatherapy, if you don't wash your hair every day, your hair is going to smell like aromatherapy. <laughs> Because I know a lot of women don't wash their hair every day or might wash in the evenings and not in the morning times or things like that. And so when your head is lying on the pillow, you're going to get that lavender smell to you, which you may love and enjoy, or you may be putting your clients to sleep. So just a little, a little throwing it out there that you really want to do a lot of self-care before bed if you can. And that's a great time to do that type of thing, right? Is because that's when so many different things are kind of floating into our brains and our eyes and our ears. And we're kind of trying to figure it all out. Well, that is an incredibly robust answer. And I so appreciate it. You told me it. to go deep. I know. I'm like, I think we can uh, call it quits here. We got it. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great, have a great weekend. So now if we're shifting gears and diving into dream world, like eating, sleep is regulated by our internal drives and is something that most, if not all animals do instinctually, but experts seem to have many theories on why we do it from the energy conservation theory that reduces energy demand during the time when it's least efficient to hunt for food to the brain plasticity theory, which right. argues that during sleep, we undergo neural reorganization and growth of our brain structure and function. What is your theory on why we sleep? Honestly, I have no idea because I've read all the theories, right? I mean, that's what I do. And I've written plenty of books about it. At the end of the day, I'm not convinced that, we, that there is a singular reason for why we sleep. I would argue that it's multifactorial, right? I think it's all of the things that you mentioned. And I think it's a few more things, right? It's information processing. No question about it. We're moving information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. So there's a data function to sleep without question. I call that the mental restoration, but there's more to mental restoration than just moving information, right? So then there's processing, right? So I had a big thing happen in my life today. How do I process through that emotionally? How do I deal with that? What, what goes on there? So I think there's an emotional component. Then of course, there's the physiology component of it, right? There's this whole restoration, recharge the batteries idea, things like that. But there've been some interesting challenges to that. Right, So we can take a marathoner right after a race and he'll sleep the same amount of time or she will sleep the same amount of time if they're not running a race the next day. So you would think, holy cow, they ran 26 miles. They should sleep longer. Not necessarily true. So again, we're st it's still a bit of a mystery, which is kind of what I like about it um, because there's new research that comes out all the time. There's lots of new theories. Matt Walker came out with a really interesting book called Why We Sleep. He's a clinical neuroscientist. And so his perspective is going to be different than, for example, a clinical psychologist's perspective, which is mine. I would argue that the biggest reason why we sleep is to reduce our stress. And I think it happens in three different ways. I think it helps us rejuvenate our bodies. So we have stress reduction there. I think it helps move information so we don't have the information that's stuck in that short-term memory. So we vacate that space. And I personally think that there's a spiritual aspect to sleep as well. I don't think you can be a spiritually enlightened person and not sleeping. I just don't think that's possible. Um, mm. I can't tell you exactly what that spiritual component is yet because quite frankly, I don't know, but I'm okay with not knowing about the spiritual component and just believing in it. <laughs> mm, I love that. Um, and our lives look a lot different today than back when we were oh hunter-gatherers. Um, sure. In the modern world, we've introduced things like the nine-to-five work schedule, and, mm -hmm. and we complete far fewer physical tasks than our ancestors could ever imagine, I'm sure. Right. Have our sleep patterns evolved to meet our needs, oh. or are we keeping the same routines and habits that we held in caveman days? So I would argue, I wish we did. I wish we did keep our sleep habits from caveman days because quite frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of insomnia back then, right? I mean, if you really start to look at the data, we didn't really start to see significant amounts of insomnia until Thomas Edison did that really obnoxious thing and invented the light bulb. Mm -hmm. And then he screwed it up for everybody. But I would tell you that sleep has evolved. I would say that sleep has evolved in some positive ways. I think we can learn how to become more efficient at sleeping. As you know, I'm a high performance sleep coach. 
And so I work with celebrities, politicians, athletes, and those types of people. And I actually can shrink the amount of time required for you to sleep mm. in a healthy way. And you still get all of the benefits from getting a good night's sleep. But to be clear, that's not an easy process, right? And so you have to figure out, are you an early bird or a night owl? You have to change your schedule. You have to follow a bunch of pretty simple, but straightforward rules. So mm. sleep is like this. You can change it. And by the way, it's going to change at different times in your life as well, right? And so as a young girl, you'd have one kind of sleep. As an adult, you might have another. If you had a child during pregnancy, you're going to have different sleep. And yes. by the way, during your menstrual cycle, you will have different sleep. And by the way, when you hit menopause, you will have different sleep. And so when you start to look at all of the different aspects to what sleep is and the evolution of what sleep is, I would argue that it's ever-changing. It's constant, and it's definitely something that we should all be thinking about, right? You know, that's the biggest problem with sleep, of course, is nobody thinks about it. They're like, oh, sleep. I just go to that room in the back of the house. I close my eyes. Some magic happens. I walk out a couple of hours later, and I feel great. That's awesome, right? If it were only so freaking simple, right? I mean, it just doesn't right. work that way for so many people. But people a lot of times don't think about sleep, and they really don't think about the consequences of their actions on sleep, right? And so that's why I make recommendations like don't watch you know, CNN right before bed, because that's the time that most people do watch those new shows, right? And it's like, yeah, let's think about doing something different, you know, the gratitude list idea. Or why don't you take out an old photo album and look at some pictures with your bed partner and think about happy times? It doesn't get any better than that. So I think that people really need to start to think through the idea. Sleep is arguably more important than exercise and more important than nutrition. So you can make it for about four and a half minutes some people six without air. Those are people who are very well-trained. You can make it for about three and a half to four days without water. You can make it for over 30 days without food. If you're using water supplementation, things like that, you can only make it about six days without sleep before you start hallucinating. And the world's record is 11 days. And that guy was a fucking mess. Oh, wow. I can only imagine. Can you imagine how terrible that would be? Oh, I don't know what the incentive is there either, but... His name is Rudy Gardner, and he was trying to set the Guinness Book of World Records for sleeplessness. And he played pinball and drank coffee and did all of these crazy things. And honestly, like he began hallucinating at that period of time. And so when you're thinking about sleep in your daily regimen, and I know people have got a lot of things to think about. You know, we're thinking about, am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough fresh air? Am I doing this thing? Am I doing that thing? Sleep's the bottom line right? It's the most primal thing that you can do to help yourself. If you want to do something good for yourself, get a good night's sleep. And you talked about the needs being different at different stages of life. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. about how babies are living the good life, sleeping oh, yeah. up to 60 hours Are you kidding? Charlotte gets a, a nap anytime she wants, right? She's rocking it out over there. I know. Oh, she's <laughs> crushing the nap game. Um, why do our younger selves require more total sleep? And why in shorter periods of rest? Because honestly, mm -hmm. I feel like I could benefit from 16 hours of Charlotte's nap as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, based on the night that you've, or the day that you've been having, I, I, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. So it's developmental, right? And so when babies are born, they're not finished developing, right? They're these little, you know, creatures that kind of pop out and then you got to deal with them. And so what ends up happening is over the course of time, their sleep actually evolves. So babies are not born with full stages of sleep. There's actually only two stages of sleep for infants. There's REM and non-REM and that's it. There's not stages one, two, three, four. It, it, none of that develops. That actually doesn't happen mm. until almost age two when we start to see the brain developing and forming these different aspects to full sleep. Oh, and so, you know, we were talking briefly before about my idea of chronotypes, right? So early bird, night owl, things like that. So this is very interesting is when you have a baby, they're all early birds, right? They wake up at five o'clock in the morning, they go to bed at you know seven o'clock at night. That's mm -hmm. your classic early bird. Next, when kids move into that toddler middle school range, then they're kind of like everybody else. They go to bed, you know, kind of when the sun goes down, they wake up when the sun comes up, things, things are going fine there. But then teenagers hit. So I have two teenagers in my house. I have an 18 year old and a 16 year old. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> it's terrible. There's nothing easy. Of, and I have great kids to be clear, but it is nothing easy about it because you know what happens with their sleep? It rotates late. So remember back in high school, right? What did you want to do, right? You wanted to stay up late and you wanted to sleep late, right? And so that's classic for a teenager. So what we see is different developmental milestones in terms of age. We also see different changes in our sleep. And part of it has to do with this evolution. Once we hit about age 20, our body finds our chronotype. 
right? So early bird, night owl, in the middle, or insomnia. And so once we kind of hit age 18, we get stuck into that chronotype. But then right around age 55 or 60, the reverse happens. So you ever, you know, go out to lunch with your grandma and she says, when's dinner? And it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Absolutely. Right. That's her chronotype has gone backwards. So as with teenagers, it goes forwards and makes them want to stay up late and sleep late. With elderly people and seniors, they actually do the reverse. They actually get up earlier and want to go to bed earlier. So mm. sleep is an ever-changing, ever-evolving kind of thing, which is kind of why I don't think there's just one answer to what it is, because I think it's different things at different times for different people. Does that make sense? Yes. And I actually love having more of a fluid slash quantum approach to life anyway, because Absolutely. things are very rarely rigid or singular and you know, yeah. an explanation. So you brought up sleep stages. While we're snoozing, we enter mm -hmm. various stages of sleep and they're not all equal, as you suggested. Yeah. Every night we cycle through these stages four to five times mm -hmm. and they take place during light sleep, deep sleep, and REM sleep. What happens at each stage and sure. which, which are the most vital and then what's interfering with our ability to reach the more restorative stages? Oh, this is a great question. Okay, so let's talk about the stages and let's break them out for everybody. To be very fair, light sleep, which is considered to be stages one and two, for this type of conversation, we're just going to say that's filler. They do some very specific things, but not things that I think everybody's going to really want to focus on. Stages three, four, which is what we call deep sleep, that's the good stuff. That is your physical restoration. That's actually where growth hormone is emitted. Um, mm. And so we actually see true cellular repair occur during deep sleep. If there was a beauty sleep, this would be it for sure, right? Okay. And so this is where like, you know, you have insults or injuries to the body, you worked out, something happened, you have a wrinkle, acne, whatever. All of that gets better with stage three, four sleep by far. The mental restoration has a tendency to occur in REM. So we've mentioned a, a bit where, you know, we're moving information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. That has a tendency to occur there. We also know that there's actually total paralysis during REM sleep. And so that's so that you don't act out your dreams. So I do. I actually, that's my parasomnia. So you have REM, you have REM behavior disorder? I am putting on full performances very regularly. Nice. <laughs> I love this. And I have footage and it's, uh, it's quite impressive and also very, very exhausting. Yes. No, I can imagine that it is. So your situation is one that's actually quite fascinating and, and we can talk online and offline about it because mm. I can fix it. So I don't know exactly what you have yet, but let's just talk about sleep paralysis in general so people can kind of get an understanding of it. So during REM sleep, our bodies are paralyzed so that we don't act out our dreams. And that's from a safety perspective primarily. But to be fair, there are people who've done some crazy shit in their dreams. There are people who have actually killed people in their mm -hmm. dreams. There are people who have driven across town under the influence of a prescription uh, sleep aid mixed with alcohol um, in the middle of the night type of stuff. So there's a lot of very complicated behaviors that can occur during sleep naturally, to be fair. My guess is, is that whatever the behavior is that you're exhibiting isn't something that's substance induced or medication induced. It's just kind of who you are. But the good news is, is that there's actually different treatments and medications that we can quiet that behavior down actually quite quickly. Uh, and you actually have something in common with uh, another one of your famous celebrity friends. Jennifer Aniston is a known sleepwalker. They actually have found her multiple times in her neighborhood. So she actually walks right out the front door and is want, and people are like, no, Jen, just kind of move her back that way. <laughs> yes, I, I haven't, I haven't left my my room yet. Okay, to that my knowledge, that you're aware of. <laughs> if we set up the cameras, we, you never know what footage we might get. It could be awesome. True, it's true. Um, so REM sleep is really that mental restoration, but the paralysis we think also has a lot to do with the with the physical restoration as well. So REM sleep seems to do two kind of different things for people. And so when you think about it, there's the physical restoration, there's the mental restoration, and then there's again this filler sleep that kind of gets you from each stage to each stage. So now what can what can prevent these was the next question, right? right? So we've already talked about a few of them. Caffeine is one of the biggest insulters of sleep. And look, at the end of the day, just because you don't feel the caffeine coursing through your veins and feeling peppy and all that, doesn't mean that it's not a stimulant and doesn't mean that it's not affecting you. So here's the biggest thing. I talk to people about this all the time. I say, stop drinking caffeine by about 2 p.m. And invariably somebody's like, Dr. Bruce, I think you're full of crap because I can have a cup of coffee at dinner and I can go right to sleep. What do you have to say about that, Dr. Bruce? I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that you're doing that. 
So if I put electrodes all across your head, here's what I can tell you, you get really crappy sleep. And they're like, oh yeah, I guess I do, right? Because what people don't realize is the quantity of sleep, falling asleep and waking up is very different than the quality mm. of the sleep that you're getting. And so alcohol is a big insulter, caffeine is a big insulter, and not going to bed with, on a consistent basis is a big insulter. Mm. I know I'm beating this horse and I know people are like, oh, this guy's driving me crazy. I, I don't want to go to bed at the same time. I feel personally you, attacked. I know, right? <laughs> Even if you just wake up at the same time, just the awakening, right? You want to stay up until four o'clock in the morning, go for it. But if you just wake up at the right time, I promise you, promise you, promise you, your whole circadian system works better. And when your circadian system works better, it doesn't just help your sleep. It helps your digestion. It helps your mental clarity. It helps every single thing you're trying physicality you know you're a you're an amazing dancer i guarantee you you're going to have a hard time dancing yes. when you can't sleep when you haven't slept well right i mean that's just how it is right or right. as an actress right how easy is it to remember your lines when you're exhausted it's not right i mean some of that comes right. naturally because you've had years and years of that kind of thing but at the end of the day for people who are new in the biz or anybody who's even in the business I mean, if you look at acting and entertainment in general, you guys have got some of the worst sleep I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, the night shoots are horrible. And I think yeah. we've maybe talked about this offline a little bit. Yeah. There's no set protocol right. that accommodates a human's need to rest right. overnight. And instead, we're out you know, shooting a movie in the middle of this frigid, cold place, right. exactly. pretending that it's summer, wearing summer clothes in the middle right. of the night, shooting a horror film, whatever it is. Right. And the whole crew is... It, and and oh. by the way, for those who are unaware, we go from day shoots to night shoots back to day shoots so irregularly that right. it's not like you get a whole week of a night schedule. Right. You're expected to just shape shift continually, right. but also perform an Oscar winning. Right, delivery. exactly. You're supposed to be fucking awesome, right? And you're right. exhausted. And so it's, it is fascinating. And, and also within your industry, unfortunately, there've been some deaths. There've been crew members who've fallen asleep driving home. There's been, there was a lot of talk about that several years ago within the industry of trying to create industry standards. Unfortunately, that has not occurred yet. But at the end of the day, I think actors and actresses are shift workers. I was talking with my buddy, um, you may know him, uh, Steve Aoki. He's an electronic yeah. dance music guy, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't go on until 11 o'clock on the early side of his right. shows. Right. Right. Like that's if the opening act isn't doing really well, then Steve's right. going to come out there and pump up the stadium type of thing. Right. But like he, he goes on at midnight. And he'll play till four. I mean, you know what that's like. The amount of energy that you have. The adrenaline. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. You guys are all shift workers, right? And so when we start to think about that, everybody's got the same issue, right? Which is displacement of time and displacement of energy, right? And so we're always trying to get to a, a more energetic state. And we're forcing our bodies to do things at the time that they don't want to do them, right? right? So of course, this isn't going to work out really well. But the good news is, for everybody out there that you can follow some simple rules and you can absolutely positively get a good night's sleep. And it's not hard, right? It's really not. I'll give you five tips. Okay, perfect. Okay, so step number one is have one wake up time. That's it, choose it. I don't care what time it is, but it's gotta be consistent. If it's 6.30 during the week, it's 6.30 on the weekends. Step number two has to do with caffeine. Stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Remember, caffeine has a half-life of six to eight hours. We want that at least half of it out of our system. So stopping by two means at 10, we have a much greater likelihood of falling asleep. Step number three, stop alcohol three hours before bed. This gives your body enough time to metabolize through the alcohol and it won't affect the physical restoration, which we all so, so much want and need. Step number four, exercise daily, but don't exercise too close to bedtime. Step four is to stop exercise four hours before bed. Okay, this, because what happens is when you exercise, you increase your core body temperature, and when your core body temperature is high, it's very difficult to fall asleep, right? Remember when we get out of the tub, the reason that the tub thing works is because our core body temperature drops very, very quickly. After exercise, it does not drop quickly. So if you give yourself four hours, you're in good shape. And step number five is when you wake up in the morning, grab a bottle of water. Hopefully it's a reusable bottle of water and drink 18 to 20 ounces of water and get 15 minutes of sunlight. So give the sun a high five. 
every morning is what I say. That's excellent. Um, and I know I, I'm going to ask a little bit more about chronotypes later, but I want to take a step back to what we were talking about between dreams and nightmares and having sort of this emotional disturbance going into sleep land. So we want as many REM cycles as possible. And that's where all the fun stuff happens anyway. You know, we can take imaginative adventures yes. around the world with that, without leaving our bed. I mean, it's kind of like vacation in the time of COVID. Right, exactly. <laughs> is, that, is it too soon? So as our unconscious brain attempts to work out all the information it received during the day, we're dreaming. But on the mm -hmm. flip side of dreams are nightmares that yep. can leave us shaken long after we wake up. And I've actually noticed some very real shifts in the themes and the obstacles that present themselves in, in my dreams. You've mentioned a few different factors. Are there any other that help shape and determine whether or not we have a dream or a nightmare? And why can we experience nightmares even if we've had a seemingly great stress-free day? So let me ask the, answer the last question first. And so how can we have a nightmare when we've had a good day? So oftentimes there are triggers that we may or may not be aware of. Anniversary of somebody's death, anniversary of a divorce, like those types of things where, where dates matter. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can sometimes be a reminder to people about things, things that can happen. Um, sometimes it can be something that's completely tangential. You can see something on the television and with, you don't even realize it, but it reminds you of something and then it spurs on that memory and things like that. Here's the good news is you can actually change the content of your dreams. So Dr. Barry Krakow at the University of New Mexico came up with this stuff called rehearsal image therapy. It's quite fascinating. So what you do is you write out in longhand form everything you can remember about your nightmare. I mean, everything every, to the detail. But at the end, when somebody's coming after you and is gonna get you, you flip the script. And so you are now the victor, not the victim. Why that becomes important is you write out the new ending and then you read the dream with the new ending four or five times before you fall asleep. Within five to seven days, you change the dream. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> right, isn't that awesome? I'm kind of speechless. It's super cool. That's really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting therapy. It's There's a lot of data behind it. It works really, yeah. really well. He has an online course. I've done it with patients before. It's super interesting. Now, to be fair, you know, when you've got somebody who's got significant um, nightmares, like from PTSD or things like that, right. that, there's more to the process. But the good news right. is the process does still work. Um, right. And so folks out there who might be suffering from trauma or having recurrent nightmares, check out Dr. Krakow. I mean, he's got an online program that you could check out that I, has been very successful. I know he still sees patients and there are sleep specialists around who can certainly help with that. But to be fair, um, mental health it, when you're suffering from PTSD is, is pretty critical and essential. Right. And it was reminding me of the Body Keeps the Score book and, and seeing, sure. yeah, and seeing in terms of trauma, things like EMDR and different ways to reprocess uh -huh. memories. So it's, there's like a it's like a kissing cousin to that. Well, EMDR is really interesting because so folks out there who might not know what we're talking about, EMDR is uh, eye movement uh, resensitization, reprogramming and desensitization or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so what's interesting is you look at this light and it moves and you watch it and it moves your eyes back and forth and you begin to process through the memories. Well, what does that sound like to you? REM sounds like REM sleep. sleep. <laughs> right? And that's what's going on in REM sleep. So it's, it's, this is a very similar thread that we're walking down this path. And so when we're looking at trauma in particular, why this becomes so fascinating, why sleep becomes such an integral component is mm. we, we now know this is part of the processing. This is the only way to get through it. The only way to mm. get to the other side is you've got to process through it and you've got to dream through it, if you will. So every time somebody has one of these nightmares and one of these upsetting dreams, flip the script, okay? That's not a bad thing. It's your brain trying to process through this. It might take a long time to process. It might take years. But the good news is, is every time you have one of these dreams, you're one step closer to not having them anymore. And if again, if you look up this stuff with Barry Krakow, it's very interesting stuff. You might be surprised. That also offers up the idea that we often try to use alcohol or different numbing agents to avoid yeah. facing some of these uncomfortable of dreams. Course. But in reality, oh, alcohol like, makes this is... situation much worse. Right, right. Right, to be clear. And especially if you mix alcohol with like over-the-counter sleep aids mm -hmm. or with prescription sleep aids, I mean, that is a mess waiting to happen. But here's an interesting one that, that might not be as obvious, but is, is quite fascinating. So 
we live in California where uh, cannabis is recreationally legal, right? Mm -hmm. And so lots and lots of people have questions about cannabis and sleep. Is it good? Is it bad? What happens? So here's the good news is there is good news about cannabis and sleep, specifically surrounding nightmares. So one of the things that high levels of THC does is it slowly starts to work out your REM sleep and you get less and less REM sleep. Now you might be saying to yourself, hold on a second, Michael, do I want less and less REM sleep? I'll get there just a second. So what we've discovered, at least in some cases, is when people are using cannabis and it lowers REM sleep, it actually lowers the frequency of the nightmares, which is in and of itself kind of interesting. But when you look at cannabis in a different way, um, what we find is it helps reduce anxiety for people, right? And helps them be able to fall asleep. So there's, there's a positive to that when, it, when you're looking at it on the PTSD side. And full disclosure, I'm working on my own line of sleep-friendly cannabis because my goal is not to get people stoned. My goal is to get people to sleep. Right? right, and so when and when you think about that REM problem, where THC starts to lower REM, I don't think it's a problem, and no, almost nobody knows this fact, is that when you look at antidepressants like um, Zoloft, Prozac, Effexor, all of those drugs, every single one of them almost completely knocks out REM sleep, almost completely. People are taking these drugs every single day for ten years, fifteen years, twenty years wow. at a time. If somebody's in my sleep lab. I can look at their EEG and I can tell you if they're on Prozac and I don't have to look at their chart. Wow. Right. And so a little bit of cannabis that helps you fall asleep and might help your nightmares a little bit. I don't think it's as bad as something like Zoloft or Prozac or things like that. But to be clear, if you're taking one of those medications, I am not saying anything bad about those medications. That's a decision between you and your doctor. And I respect that. And let me tell you something. I have lots of patients who take those medications. And so we have a way of working around it. I'm using it as an example to show you that cannabis is probably a little bit better from a sleep perspective than something like an antidepressant might be. Right. Um, But it is important to remember that you can find your own natural rhythm for your own needs. So I want to ask one more question Mm -hmm. before we take a quick break. The average person has three to five dreams per night, and and most of them are forgotten as soon as they're over. But it seems some people are able to remember their dreams more frequently than others. How are they able to retain these memories after waking while others struggle to? So it all has to do with when you woke up. So if you wake up in the middle of a REM period, you'll remember your dream almost instantly. If you don't, Mm. it's much more difficult. Just to be clear, though, I can teach almost anybody how to remember their dreams, but you may not want to. Be careful what you ask for because it's a switch that I can't turn off. So it's relatively simple. You have a dream journal and every single morning you wake up and you write down every single thing that you were thinking about just in your head. Over the course of five to seven days, you'll start to remember your dreams. Here's the issue. It doesn't stop. Every single morning, you'll start remembering your dreams. If you want to do that, be my guest. Me personally, I have no interest in remembering my dreams every single morning because some of my dreams are kind of funky and I'm really not that interested <laughs> you know, in everything that's going on there. My son is sitting over here and he's shaking his head. He's like, yep, I don't want to remember my dreams either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say if you choose to do that, then make sure you're baking in time in the morning in your morning ritual routine to process, to write down, to be mm-hmm. contemplative, reflective, or to kind of clear out the cobwebs with meditation or, you know, like you said, going outside, exercising, whatever that might be for you. So we're We're going to take a a quick break, but stay tuned because when we return, we are breaking down sleep problems like racing minds and technology interference. And then we're going to debunk some more misconceptions, I'm sure. And we'll discuss the genetic role in determining what chronotypes of sleeper we are Um, and, and just, you know, general hacks. So stay tuned. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor, to talk about the problems we face when trying to get some shut-eye, but not just the problems, also a myriad of solutions. So say I have a bed partner who snores loudly enough to wake the neighbors um, and gets up in the middle of the night before returning to thrash in bed for hours. I feel like I'm actually talking about myself. No matter how much I I care for them, my partner would be described as an external sleep thief. It could also be a pet or a child. Yes. So then we also have internal sleep thieves like caffeine and alcohol inside our body. We've talked about the internal ones, but how can we manage external thieves without removing them from our lives. So first of all, let's talk about removing them from our lives for a second, because believe it or not, a sleep divorce is now a term. I have couples who during the week, 
they sleep in separate bedrooms because one snores or one likes it hot or cold or what have you. And then on the weekends, they come together and they sleep in their bed together. And then that's where their intimacy happens is generally speaking over the weekends. And it actually works out really, really well for them. So the good news is, is that you never have to actually divorce <laughs> your, your bed partner, but you can push them into a different space if you need to in order to get a good night's sleep. So it's not the worst thing in the world. The biggest question is always about intimacy. And is that going to affect my relationship? And so the answer is, actually, it'll probably help your relationship because now you're finding new and unique fun times to be more intimate. So there's a little bit of spice that gets added to that whole process. Mm -hmm. um, and you're getting a good night's sleep. So you actually want to be intimate. It's no longer not tonight I have a headache. It's not tonight I'm too freaking tired. When we're talking about disruptive bed partners, one, you can remove them. Number two is you can right. deal with them, right? And right. so if you've got a snoring bed partner, number one is, is it snoring or could it be sleep apnea, right? And so if you hear them stop breathing for brief pauses or the snoring starts and stops and starts and stops, as a health guide, you because they're asleep, they have no idea. You need to let that person know that you think they might have sleep apnea. Sleep apnea mm. is a deadly sleep disorder. You can die from sleep apnea. So to be clear, if you got a snoring bed partner, number one, check out to see if they've got sleep apnea. If they don't, there are tons of solutions for sleep apnea, uh, for uh, snoring rather. Um, but the easiest one, lose 5% of your body fat. If your way you know, 150 pounds, and you can lose seven, seven and a half pounds, you'll go down by something somewhere between 20 and 30 decibels in terms of the snore that you're producing, which can be massive when somebody's lying right next to you and you're snoring right at them. Being able to lower that decibel level can be huge. Also, there are different um, devices that can be quite helpful. Um, my favorite one is called the mute, M-U-T-E, like push the mute button. It's an internal nasal dilator. So it's something that goes inside the nose, up inside your nose, and it actually opens up the pipes and makes it easier to breathe. So I actually wear one when I work out. Sometimes, you know, like people used to wear the Breathe Right strips. It's the same thing, but it's internal and it works much better. And it really knocks out snoring. Also, to be fair, a lot of people aren't regular snorers. For example, they snore if they've had a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. And so this mute... Uh, actually turns out to be quite effective for those times as well. Mm. Um, if you have a pet that's driving you crazy, you can train your pet to sleep in a certain part of the bed. It's not as hard as you might think, unless your pet is a cat. Cats don't listen to anything, no matter what. That is what I have discovered. I have one cat and two dogs and a wife all in the same bed. And what I can tell you with great certainty is that I have the smallest part of the bed, but it doesn't really bother me. I fall asleep, I sleep well. We have a French bulldog and he does snore. And so what I'll do is I'll point him so that his snoring is away from me. And again, it's fine. Like you shouldn't sleep in total silence, but you also don't need to sleep in, you know, a symphony. And so there are a lot of different things that you can do absolutely to kind of get some of those disruptions out of the bed. And then when it comes to tech hazards, right. you've gone against the grain actually. And you've, yes. you've said that falling asleep with the TV on is not necessarily bad and noting that your wife passively listens to TV to serve <laughs> as a distraction, but because she isn't watching and therefore isn't as affected by the light emitted, it might mm -hmm. not be as dangerous. I mean, I'm sure there are many of us who are scrolling on our phones while in bed. And I know that this, this is blue light. How does right. blue light affect us at night and what can we do to curb how this light affects us? So when we're talking about blue light, my favorite option are these, my blue light blocking glasses. I'm- oh, I'll raise you a pair. Oh, mine are better than yours. And I can assure you of that. <laughs> All right, um, tell me why. I'll tell you why, because I actually created these. So when you look at blue light blocking glasses on the market, none of them are very good. Both of my kids are gamers and they'll play mm. games late into the night. And that blue light turns off the melatonin faucet in their brains. Try to get your 17-year-old son to stop playing Call of Duty, right? It's not going to happen, right. but what you can do is you can give him a pair of these and he can watch and he can still play and the blue light's not affecting him. Hmm. I, so my wife falls asleep with the television on. You know, you just talked about it. I'll wear blue light blocking glasses. Her eyes are closed. She's just listening to the TV, but I might, I might be watching. I'll wear the blue light blocking glasses or I might read wearing the blue light blocking glasses. Here's the real question though. Do you think I look like Bono? <laughs> You know, Elvis Costello, maybe Nick Cage. Those guys all wear blue light blocking glasses all the time. And they look so cool doing it. I think I've got the look. Yeah, I think you can pull it off. Right? I think I can pull In it fact, off. In fact, I think you're a trendsetter. 
Yes, I are am. Those don't you forget it. Available for purchase? They are. Um, so I actually had to make my own because I didn't like the ones that were on the market. If people go to sleepdoctorglasses.com, I know, very original name, sleepdoctorglasses.com, you can find them there. They're available on Amazon. Um, they're like 20 bucks, 25 bucks, something like that. Um, awesome. I think I've got a special going where you get two pair for 40 or something like along those lines. But it was really critical to get the right lens. And for folks out there, like the ones that you put on, not to give you a hard time, but there's two factors to blocking blue light. One is the coating that they put on the lens that actually blocks the wavelength. The other is a dimming of the brightness. Um, and when you have clearer lenses, like the ones that you put on look to be very tinted, but very slightly yellow, if I, right. if I come quickly. These are my other ones. <laughs> Those aren't terrible, but again, the amber ones. Mm -hmm. these That's the more best. color. Yeah, these, yeah. Are, these are a little more. Um, Fashionable. Well, and color therapy has its own mood adjusters. So what I would tell people is that kind of lens is perfect for during the daytime. This is what you use, you know, a couple hours before bed. Like mm. this is serious. This is a serious piece of equipment for eye strain and for blocking blue light. And again, we just donated, um, I don't know, 150 pairs to our kids' school for all the teachers because all the teachers are now doing online classes and they're like right. all complaining of insomnia. It's like, well, right. that's because they're not used to being on a computer all day long. So, right. you know, looking at the tech aspects of it becomes important as well. All right, moving forward. You bet. Let's pretend this is sort of like a rapid fire round. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about napping and mm -hmm. you did mention that it isn't always the best idea. Are you completely anti-nap or is there a way to integrate napping effectively? I love napping, just to be clear, okay. but people with insomnia should never nap because you lower sleep drive and makes it much more difficult to fall asleep at night. So if you can't sleep at night, don't sleep during the day. That's rule okay. number one. Napping is great to supplement sleep. So if you only got five hours the night before, can you get a nap in to help you out? Absolutely. Sleep debt. Mm, sleep debt is kind of a weird concept that seems to change every couple of years. But here's the bottom line. If your body needs six and a half, let's say, and you only got five and a half, you're short an hour, what do you do? There's two options. One is a power nap, a short nap, like a 20 minute nap. The other is a full sleep cycle, which is 90 minutes. Okay. To be clear, if you try to take the 90-minute nap and you don't wake up kind of right at the mark, you're going to feel like crap for the rest of the day. Because most people, when they take a nap, they nap really long and they wake up in the middle of a cycle and it's really tough to kind of pull yourself out of it. That's why the short nap works great. But my favorite hack, I call it the napa latte. So here's what you do. You take a cup of black drip coffee, right? Throw in three ice cubes just to keep it cool. Slug it, then take your nap. What ends up happening is you burn through the adenosine that's kind of built up by sleeping. And then when you wake up, the caffeine kicks in, you're good for four hours, guaranteed. Oh, or I love like that. A charm. I actually, one of the creators of a show I've been on for forever, Phineas and Ferb, he does that after his lunch break. He'd take a nap and he'd, but for him, he went with a Diet Coke, which, you know, we'll talk about that another time. But before we go, I do want to talk about chronotypes a bit. We each have our own circadian rhythm, our internal clock. And because of that, everyone has different needs for sleep. And you've classified these differences as the bear, the wolf, the lion, and the dolphin. And yeah. genetics determine which of these types we are, no matter how much we will ourselves to be the lion who wants to wake up in the morning. Right. Um, but figuring out what our type is can guide us on the best time to sleep and to wake up um, so we can maximize that rest. But one, do our types ever change? And two, let's say we pick a job and it right. interferes with our genetically determined need. You like you? Right, yeah. How can we <laughs> adjust our biological clocks to a schedule that doesn't align with our chronotype? Sure, so first of all, I could spend an hour and a half on just this question. Let's do a little bit of a rapid fire on this. So many people have never heard of the term chronotype, but have heard of the concept, which is early bird night owl. So just to bring everybody up to speed, it turns out that there aren't two chronotypes. For a long time, we thought there were three. Early bird, someone in the middle, we call that person a hummingbird, and then night owl. And then about five years ago, I came up with a new idea. My contribution to the literature was a fourth chronotype, which is an insomniac. So it turns out that these are all actually genetically predetermined. So if you sent me your 23andMe data or your Ancestry.com data, I could look at that and I could tell you very assuredly which one of these four things you are. 
Where it gets really interesting is if you start to move your life around your chronotype. So I'm a night owl, you know, and many creative people are, many people in your industry, actually almost every actor that I've ever worked with turns out to be a night owl, which is great if you're shooting at night, but if you ain't shooting at night, it ain't so great. Right? Mm. Because what happens is your entire biological rhythm gets thrown off when you try to force it into another circadian position. And so your question of, does it ever change? Well, to be fair, it changes dramatically from the time you're an infant to the time you're a toddler to the time you're a teenager. And we talked a little bit about that. Then it sets and then it changes again when you become a senior. Right. So, you know, if you go with grandma to dinner, she wants to go at 430. That's because her circadian clock has worked backwards. So many people will change their chronotypes throughout their life. But the largest portion of time from about 20 till about 50, you're usually just one of these four chronotypes where it gets interesting is dating. As an example, I personally think match.com should ask you sleep questions, because by the time you get to that point where you're actually sharing a bed with somebody, you're so far into the relationship more than likely, if it doesn't work because you two are not compatible in the bedroom, that's a big, big problem. So look, at the, at the end of it all, understanding your chronotype can be very, very valuable to you. So as a night owl, I know exactly what times of day are the best times of day for me to exercise. I know the best times of day for me to drink caffeine. I know the times of day when I can be most creative. It's all about hormonal balance and your hormones are balanced by this one genetic factor, which is your chronotype. So if people go to chronoquiz.com, you can figure it out for free. It's my website, just go on on there. And then you'll get a report that'll teach you everything you would wanna know about your chronotypes. Clearly it would be great if you bought my book, which explains a whole lot about it um, yeah. even more. Um, and in the book, we go into a lot more detail. And so in the book, I, I teach people the best time of day to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask their boss for a raise, take a nap, run a marathon, write a book, sing a song, you name it. There's actually specific hormonal times for all of those. Well, we absolutely will be checking out all of your materials and I'll make sure to link everything in the show description. And if there's anything else we haven't covered, would you like to give us a last hurrah or where can we find you and how can we follow you and support? So I'm going to do both in the same thing. So people can find me at www.thesleepdoctor.com. Doctors all spelled out. And if you want to learn a lot more about what we were talking about today, I have created a landing page that's COVID specific. So giving people COVID specific information. So it's thesleepdoctor.com forward slash sleep hyphen pandemic. And so anything and everything you'd ever want to know is there. So that'll be a great resource for all of the people that are listening out there. And my website, we've got almost 900 blogs there. Literally every sleep question you could imagine, I think I've answered there. Everything from what is melatonin? Is cannabis okay? What do I do if I wake up in the middle of the night? How do I stop crazy dreams? Like it's all in there for sure. Perfect. Well, we will absolutely include all of those links and everyone can find it. And then DM me and DM Dr. Bruce and let us know what you discover. Hopefully you feel absolutely. really refreshed. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing just an infinite amount of wisdom here. It's so much insight on the importance of sleep and, and its impact on our health and our daily lives. Appreciate your time. And and now I will switch over to extract the top takeaways from what you shared and then turn them into weekly affirmations that we can use to apply to our own daily lives. Okie dokie, let us get into this week's mantras. So as I said, I'll say each twice and then I'll leave space in the third for you to repeat. The mantras this week are very practical because Dr. Bruce gave us some very clear-cut straightforward tips that we can do. So here we go. First, I will eliminate caffeine after 2 p.m. Even if it's just this week, try it. I will eliminate caffeine after 2 p.m. Your turn. I can hear some of you being like, I'm so not down for this. Okay, next one. Tomorrow, I will give the sun a high five in the morning. Obviously, safely amidst the pandemic. Tomorrow, I will give the sun a high five in the morning. Your turn. 
And finally, this week, I will wake up at the same time every day. I know, I know, I know, I know. Try it. This week, I will wake up at the same time every day. Visualize what that number is and say it out loud. I know change can be uncomfortable, but great sleep is something that you deserve and need to function at your best and highest. So I'm so grateful that Dr. Bruce was here to share so much with us. And as always, thanks for listening to Simplexity. I hope that you'll take a few moments if you haven't already to give the podcast a rating and review and also share this with someone you think it can be helpful, especially amidst the pandemic. We are all, at least me, I'm going through some weird sleep cycles and they change every couple weeks. So time to get consistent. I will do these mantras and you know, actually obey and follow them. And then DM me, and let me know how it goes. All right, I will see you all next week for more simplexity. It's anything but small talk, peace. Oh yeah, and always give this a like, a comment, subscribe, uh, you yeah, know.